Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. It is good to gather. It is good to see brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know that there are many more who would normally be here with us except for different issues regarding the virus that's going around. And so we also affirm that we miss them and await the day with glory when we can all worship together once again, maybe without masks, maybe without having to to clean every time we move in the room and without worry of um, virus and complications from that. But it is a reminder to us that even once we're able to gather here again, there will be a sense of loss to that as we still await the perfect worship that will happen in the new heavens and the new earth once our Lord and Savior returns. And so we, in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our difficulty, we are heartened and lifted up and encouraged by the promises that we have from our resurrected Christ. Um, The announcements that we have are there in the bulletin. Are there any other announcements that we need to highlight? If not, our call to worship today comes from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among all the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in truth. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we are here today to do what we have been commanded in this psalm. We are here to praise you for your glory, for your strength. We are here to bring an offering. We are here to be in your presence. We are here to worship you in the splendor of your holiness. And we tremble before you. We tremble before that holiness And we tremble before the grace that allows us to be in the presence of that holiness without fear of being destroyed. Lord, may you accept our worship today. May you be glorified by our worshiping you. And Lord, may you hear our prayer, especially the one that we pray as you taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. One of the ways in which we praise our God is through the singing of songs. So let us turn to hymn number 131. Come Christians, join to sing. We are commanded by God to sing to the Lord, to sing to the Lord. So let us stand and sing hymn 131.
confession today comes from uh, Prone to Wander, Prayers of Confession and Celebration by Barbara Duguid and Wayne Hoke. Let us pray. Merciful Lord, you have chosen us in Christ to belong to you, set apart from all others in this universe to worship you as our Savior. Left to ourselves, we would still be your enemies, strangers to your love and compassion. Thank you that you have rescued us against our wills. Yet, Father, we continue to sin against you day after day. Like Lot, we are strongly attached to this world and would rather linger and enjoy the sinful delights that it offers than flee from it into your presence and love. We take the best gifts that you offer in creation and we warp them into instruments of self-worship. We think that we are superior to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, But you know our hearts and our minds, and we are guilty of these things as well. We devote much of most of our lives to we devote much of our lives to sexual fantasy and romantic obsession, weaving stories and rehearsing images in our minds that make us feel loved and desirable. When we are not tempted to sin in sexual ways, we feel superior to people who struggle with sexual addictions like pornography and same sex attraction. Though we can hide these thoughts from others, you know every one of them. Forgive us, we pray. Father, thank you for giving us a new birth in spite of our sin and rebellion. Lord, part of us longs to be holy and sinless, but there is much in us that still cherishes our sin and clings to it. Please help us to hate our sin and run from it. As you draw us toward heaven, open our eyes and help us to see how offensive our sin is to you. And how damaging it is to us. When we are dazzled by the alluring temptations of sexual and non-sexual sins, teach us that you are the only feast that satisfies our souls deeply and permanently. Fill us with awe and wonder that you give us the radiant robes of your son's perfection to wear. And carry us to a place of high honor for his glory. Thank you that you have begun a good work in us that nothing can stop. And that one day we will stand before you in the bliss of sinless perfection as Christ's beautiful bride. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. John says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's second letter to the young pastor Timothy comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed in this with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. 
Those who oppose him, he must be gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And offering baskets are either here in the front of the church or in the back, or you may continue to to mail in the offerings that we are commanded by God to give that are commanded as part of our worship. So now we have some special music. Father, you are great uh, and worthy of all praise. We do thank you for all that you have given to us, all that you provide for us, and for this opportunity to worship you through the giving of our tithes and offerings. May you be honored, may you be glorified by what has been given. And Lord, may we give throughout our life of our time, our talents, and our treasures as a worship to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and take your hymn book. And turn to him number 215. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts. Jesus is a fountain of life. He is the light to men. And he is the one who changes our hearts so that we might love. Love him and love neighbor. So let us remain standing and sing Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts.
gather with the saints before and the saints who will come after us in professing the truth, a summary of the truth of the scriptures through the Apostles' Creed. So church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. I have a prayer update on uh, Libby Temple. Some of you know her. She attended here for a time. She has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer as well as having a spot on her liver. Um, She's down in Florida, so please be praying for her um, as uh, she moves forward in treatment options and things like that. We prayed for Melba, Michelle's grandmother, last week. She is back at her home, um, still in a little bit of isolation. She's not able to leave her room right now for another week or so, so um, please just pray for her. She seems to be in good spirits, at least last time Michelle talked to her, so... um, Please continue to lift her up in prayer. Continue to keep Doug's mom in your prayers and uh, Margie's mother-in-law as uh, it's been a couple months now since they've been able to see her. She's at the, the manor, and so please continue to lift her up in prayer. Please continue to pray for Carol Mankins. Um, just pray for her spirits to lift as she's still um, dealing with stomach issues and things like that. So are there any other prayer requests today? Well, if not, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this promise in our psalm that we had this morning, that you will judge the nations with equity. You are a God of justice, and we forget that sometimes. We forget that you see all that happens in our world and in our society, that you know right from wrong, you hold right from wrong in your very being. You are the definition of goodness. You are the definition of what is right and good. And we turn our backs on that. And one of the ways we do that is through a not only not loving our neighbor, but sometimes a gross negligence of our neighbor. So Lord, remind us that you are a God of justice. As our uh, as Minneapolis right now royals from the riots surrounding the death of George Floyd, as our nation aches over the many unjust deaths that have happened throughout our history and throughout recent history remind us that you are a God of justice. You care about life. You care about how your image is treated. And help us to repent of those times where likely through our words we have treated fellow images of God as something less than that. When we talk about treating people as something less than human, but we as your people should understand that humanity, our humanity means that we are created in your image and are therefore worthy of a dignity and an honor that comes from that. We should have a, a higher sense 
of what it means to treat somebody with dignity. We should have a higher sense of what it means to treat a fellow human being with honor because we understand the reality that we are created in your image. Forgive us of those times that we have forgotten that. Forgive us of those times where we have turned our back upon justice or we have turned our backs upon those whom we should seek to lift up and to encourage because just like us, they are fellow human beings, fellow images of God. Lord, forgive us of the times where we have kept silent when we should speak and help us to speak your justice and your grace into situations that oftentimes demand it. Lord, I know sometimes uh, the media of the day seeks to spin and highlight certain things uh, so that we will be fearful and outraged. And yet all of us can think back to times in our lives where we have not spoken up against oppression, where we have not spoken up against injustice, and where many of us oftentimes have taken part in small injustices which are just as heinous to you as the large ones. Sanctify us in that area, in this area and help us to seek your justice in this world in a way that shares your gospel. Because in reality, what your justice means is that each of us are guilty before you and are in desperate need of a savior. And so help us to see your justice as a means to proclaim your gospel. Help us to call out wrong when it is wrong, but also to show the glory of forgiveness, the glory of reconciliation, the glory of the cross. Lord, help us to be people who pursue righteousness and holiness and justice, not only in our own lives, but in our state, in our country and around the world. Help us to see beyond the walls of our homes. Help us to see beyond the walls of our churches and see the needs that are out there, the needs for gospel salvation, the needs for helps, the needs that people have in our world as we oftentimes look inward so much and focus on our own needs and our own need for you as important as those things are. Help us to also see beyond the confines of our own mind, our own homes. And see the need for the gospel around the world. See the need for your reconciliation around the world. Lord, I I do lift up those that we have talked about. I I thank you for the grace that you have shown to Melba in allowing her to be back in her home. And Lord, help her as she deals with this extra level of isolation. She's gotten a a little bit of relief from it, but she still has an extra level of it. I ask that you help her to hold up Underneath that, I I pray for Doug's mom as well, knowing that she is going through difficulties because she is isolated from family. And so, Lord, strengthen her and help her and and strengthen them, Doug and Margie, as they lament the fact that they cannot visit with her, that they cannot check up on her, that they have to rely upon phone calls and secondhand information to know what's going on. Comfort them in that lament. Lord, I pray for Libby. Lord, as she is near family and also separated from many, many friends, uh, I ask that you support her and lift her up in this diagnosis. We know that oftentimes pancreatic cancer is not something you want to hear. You don't want to hear any kind of cancer. But Lord, we know that you're in control. We know that you have this in your hands. And so strengthen her, lift her up, heal her, comfort her in the midst of this difficult time. Lord, when it comes to viruses, many of us are verging upon ignorance. But all of us are confused right now by this one virus as as the information that we have seems to change on a daily basis. Help us to see this confusion as a reminder that um, where we think we have infinite knowledge, we have nothing. Or just as all of the universe could fit like a drop of water in the palm of your hand, All of the knowledge that we have regarding this virus compares to a drop of water in your hand as well as you have infinite knowledge. 
Help us to rest in that. Help us to find peace in that. You have power over all things. There are no maverick molecules. There are no viruses that surprise you. And so remind us of your sovereignty over this. Help us to be wise, to be cautious, yet without being outraged and afraid over a virus. Yes, it can be dangerous. Lord, remind us of the glory that awaits us. The glory that is far greater than any affliction that we could suffer upon this earth. And help us to move forward in a cautious and wise hope. Not that the hope is cautious because the hope is abundant. But we are cautious and we are wise because of the abundant hope that we have through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that you hear. We know that you answer. We know that you love your people. Shower that love upon us. Remind us of your presence. Remind us of the peace that you give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 7 today. We will cover the entire chapter of Proverbs verses 1 through 27. And this is kind of Solomon's wrap up on his discussion of sexual sin, which began in chapter 2, kind of in brief, and then began in very large part in chapters 5, 6, and 7, with a brief interlude to discuss some other wicked people besides the wicked woman. As you're turning there, I, I want to address sexual sin in a way that we don't often think about it. We're going to discuss the adulteress in here, and and unfortunately there are uh, sexual sins that are considered to be quote-unquote normal uh, at best, acceptable sometimes at worst, and we have categories for abnormal or unacceptable sexual sins. And I just want to address this briefly right now because I'm not going to dive into it. Um, Sexual abuse is a reality in our world, a very, very sad and disturbing reality, or at least least it should be. Childhood sexual abuse is rampant in our culture and sometimes, unfortunately, within the church. And the statistics are horrible. I I don't know what else to say. 38% of all females that were abused before the age of 18 sexually Up to 16% of all males were sexually abused before the age of 18. We don't know the number exactly on males because between 95 and 99% of males do not report ever. If you're a victim of childhood sexual abuse, you have likely had the guilt and shame of your perpetrator showered upon you. Let me tell you today unequivocally that you are the victim and not the sinner in the relationship You have been grossly sinned against and blamed for the sin, and it is not your fault. I know it takes a lot of courage, but talk to somebody. I know you fear talking to somebody. You fear not being believed because statistics also tell us that you have talked to somebody and they've not believed you. But please don't carry the burden alone. Let somebody help you and also know that the abuse that Jesus suffered brings redemption brings healing from the shame, healing from the hurt. As I said, you carry no guilt, but the enemy has convinced you that you carry shame. Abuse upon abuse fell upon our Lord and Jesus Christ at the hands of vile, wicked men so that you could be at peace with God and at peace with yourself. And should there be a perpetrator in here or a perpetrator listening to my voice on the recording, turn yourself in now. Repeat, repent, seek forgiveness from God and from man. Know that Jesus said it would be better for you to have a millstone tied to your neck and to be dropped into the middle of the deepest lake than to harm one of the little ones that try to come to him. You can avoid eternal judgment through repentance and faith, but you will not and should not avoid the justice of men. Sexual sin takes many forms. Some more normal than others. But God does condemn all forms of sexual sin because of the holy design that he has for sex. Listen now as I read from Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. 
Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your kinsman. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked out to the lattice. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colorful linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deep of love till morning. Let us enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone away on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. He will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, like an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we ask that you open our eyes to the light that you have for us in Proverbs. Open our eyes to the needs that we have for forgiveness and for reconciliation. And help us to live a life worthy of your calling. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the movie The Lion King, there's a scene where the king, Mufasa, sits with his son Simba up on top of the rock that overlooks the lands that the Lion King, Mufasa, rules. And he's as he's sitting there with his son, he, he turns to his son and he says, everywhere that the light touches is our kingdom. And Simba looks out over the, the land where the light is, or where the light touches, and he sees this dark, shadowy place off in the distance. And he says, well, what about that place over there, Dad? And, and Mufasa looks at him and says, that area is not ours. We stay away from that area because it's filled with darkness. It's filled with danger. Solomon is like Mufasa with his son, where he is seeking to shed light God's light so that we can see that wherever the light touches, we are in the kingdom of God and the light touches sex in the area that God has ordained through Genesis one and throughout the rest of his scriptures and Genesis one. God blesses humanity, tells them to be fruitful, tells them to multiply, tells them to fill the earth, to subdue it, to exercise God's dominion over the earth. And at the end of chapter two, God says through Moses, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one. This passage on marriage is the light that shines upon the marriage relationship. It is the light that covers all aspects of the command from God based upon his blessing to multiply, to fill, to subdue and to rule. And that line that light shines upon all aspects of the marriage relationship, emotional, spiritual, financial, and physical. And today, after Solomon has shined the light upon the marriage relationship today, he is going to, to peek into the darkness, to peek into the dark area, to give his son things to look out for, things to avoid as he moves through his life, as he seeks to rule wisely and to keep himself pure as he moves forward. So today, as we consider Solomon's teaching regarding sex, the final teaching that he has in this introductory section, 
We won't have to talk about this again for another 20 chapters or so. So I'll leave you alone for a little bit. But today, as we look at this, we will see the warning. We will see the youth and we will see the temptress. First, the warning. Solomon opens and ends this section with a warning to his son. And the warning is to keep away from the the adulterous woman, from the temptress. It's a warning that he's given his son already. It's a warning that we will likely hear again as we study throughout the scriptures is to guard ourselves when it comes to sexual temptation and to sexual sin. Repetition is how you and I learn. Solomon has said this through chapter two. He said it through chapter five, through chapter six, and now through chapter seven. But we humans oftentimes have to hear things over and over again for them to for us to learn those things. Think about your children. If you were ever had to memorize your multiplication tables in school, you will likely remember having to go over them time and time again. We don't just learn something the first time we read it. We don't just learn something the first time we do it. We have to do those things over and over again. We have to hear those things over and over again so that we can learn the information, then begin to interact with the information, then begin to use the information to live our lives, to live wise lives. And so Solomon repeats his warning to the son here, knowing that the son needs that repetition and knowing that the temptation to sexual sin is an omnipresent temptation to the human condition. We think it's a uniquely male problem oftentimes, but women struggle with the temptation just in different forms. Solomon's warning in verses 1 through 5 begins with that call that we've heard many times already, that call to treasure up, to internalize uh, the teachings that he has given, the commands given in Scripture, as, as well as the teachings of the teacher, of the father, of the, of the mother. Parents, you and I should be the main source of our children's um, legal training when it comes to God's law, specifically in this context here in the form of sexual education. We should be the primary source of teaching about that. When I was young, you could hold off on that until somewhere between the ages of 11 and 13. However, now you have to begin really young as as the ease of access to sexual information has been made. You have to begin, unfortunately, with your toddlers talking about them in some way, about this in some way, shape or form. If you need some resources, talk to me later. I have some good recommendations for you. Statistically, our children are exposed to pornography at a younger and younger age. I think when my kids were young, well, younger, when my kids were younger, the average age was 11. I think we're pushing seven or eight now on the average age of exposure. We must teach our children about sexual temptation and how to avoid it, how to stand up to it. Children, your parents are doing their best to teach you the law of God. And right now they are your access to God's law and to God's love. Yes, they are imperfect and hopefully they are striving to honor God in the way they are teaching you. But you are called to respect and to honor them as long as they do not teach you to violate God's law. The idea of treasuring this teaching is intensified in verse four. When Solomon says, say to wisdom, you are my sister. It's an interesting translation of that particular word because it could also be translated wife. And in the Song of Songs, which there's a lot of parallels in this chapter to the Song of Songs, in the Song of Songs, that's how that word is used. Have an intimate relationship with the teaching. Love them, treasure them, cherish them in such a way that they become part of your life. A benefit of treasuring and internalizing these teachings is the life that is given. And the consequence of breaking them is death. He says at the end there in the last few verses, the last four verses, says many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Solomon gives a warning that we must avoid falling into sexual sexual sin because it brings us death. It brings us the opposite of life. It brings us to the grave and ultimately to the judgment 
that God has promised to sinners. And so that after Solomon gives his warning, he begins probably a, a parable or a fable here as he talks about two different people, the two main characters of this fable, this parable. First, the youth. And I want to look at a little bit of the characteristics of the youth. I want to look at at where he might have fallen, where he failed so that we can hopefully set up roadblocks in our lives to to show us where not to go, where not to fail. The story that Solomon gives boils down to this. A, A young man is walking through town as day shifts to the darkness of night. He is met by a brazen woman who seems to promise all that the young man could desire, but ends up leading him to death. The first character in this story is the youth or the young man. He is introduced to us as someone who is simple. And as someone who is simple, he hangs around with other young, simple men like himself. Now, simple doesn't mean what we think it means. We uh, we often use the word simple to talk about some type of mental deficiency. But simple here is to is used to describe a moral deficiency. He's got the teaching of his parents. He has the information and he is at the point in his life, like many of our graduates are, where they're getting ready to step outside of the confines of family life. And they have a choice to either take and follow the training they have been given or to take and ignore The training that they have been given. This is a young man who still has a choice in his life, whether he's going to follow wisdom or he's going to follow folly. He hasn't set his feet upon either path yet. He has lived under the roof. He has walked along the path of his parents and he's getting ready to set out on his own. And even though he might make a bad choice or two at the beginning, all is not yet lost. He can still, at the beginning of this path, turn back toward wisdom if he walks toward folly. The first mistake that he makes is who he hangs around with. He hangs around with other young, simple men like himself. As Solomon looked out, he said, I noticed among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. Oftentimes, we like to hang around with other people who are very much like us. But that can also get us in trouble, especially if we're hanging around with people with the same age or the same experience set that we have. It's not bad to have friends your own age. I'm not telling you you can only hang out with older adults or wiser adults, but don't only hang around with people your own age. In Titus chapter 2, the older men and the older women of the church are called to walk alongside the younger men and the younger women to teach them how to live in light of the gospel, to teach them wisdom, to walk along beside them and to to keep them accountable to to the gospel, to keep them accountable to the guidance that the scriptures gives to us. Don't struggle against sexual temptation on your own. Go to other people, go to wiser people, go to people who are more mature in their walk with Jesus and ask them to help you, to keep you accountable and to protect you from the fires of hell. And to the older men and women in the church, to the more mature Christians in the church, if if a young man or a young woman comes to you and asks you for help in this struggle, praise God that they trust you and love you enough to come and ask you that. And offer them the help and the wisdom that they seek. The next mistake he makes is that he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. We are told that he's walking near the neighborhood. He is walking toward the corner where she lurks, where she lives, where her house is. And he's doing so at twilight and at night. He may be walking in that direction. Just He he may literally be walking in that direction because he knows where he's headed. But I think the way it's written here, it's it's a it's just an unwise walking in the wrong area of town. He's probably been warned not to go into this area of town, but in his pride, in his in his youthful arrogance, he thinks he's okay. He thinks everything's gonna work out. And so he's just aimlessly wandering in the wrong area of town. But it be but it 
becomes part of his downfall, as we will see here. And this reminds us as we move forward that we need to be careful when it comes to sexual sin, that we don't open ourselves up to it by putting ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. For, for some of us, this means that we need to abide by maybe the Billy Graham rule where we, we don't find ourselves alone with a, a, a person of the opposite sex who's not our spouse. For others of us, this means that once the rest of the family goes to bed, we don't fire up the computer in the darkness, in the secrecy, and look at things that we shouldn't look at. Whatever area sexual temptation comes to you, you need to make sure that you don't place yourself in front of that, either willingly or unwisely. This also means that if you don't struggle with sexual sin, but you struggle with some other sin, that you don't put yourself in that place. The glutton shouldn't go to the buffet. The the person who deals with anger and stress in an unholy way should not should make should do everything they can to keep themselves out of those situations that cause the stress that cause the trigger that cause the temptation, whatever sin it is that you struggle with. And we'll learn a lot about those sins from this, not just from sexual sin. But whatever sin it is you struggle with, don't put yourself in a position where you're going to force yourself almost to be tempted in those areas. And so we have seen the youth. We have seen that he is not willing or at least has not put himself in a place where he can be taught by the wise. And he has put himself in the presence of temptation. And then we see the main character in the story, and that is the temptress. As he is walking through this area, as he is walking near her neighborhood, he meets the temptress, he meets the adulteress. And her true nature is described for us in verses 10 through 12. That if you have the NIV, it's in parentheses there. Verses, excuse me, 11 through 12. No, it is 10 through 12, sorry. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. The word crafty intent there means guarded of heart. She's hiding who she truly is. She is putting on a face that hides what she is doing and what she is about to do. And who is she? Well, verses 11 and 12. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She is a woman who is unsatisfied with the marriage relationship. She has rebelled against God and against her marriage vows. She is loud in the fact that she brings attention to herself. She is a bit of a busybody. She is always going somewhere looking for the satisfaction that she cannot find at home. She is an unfaithful woman looking for love in all the wrong places and with all the wrong people. And yet she hides this true nature from the young man as she dresses provocatively and as she grabs him provocatively, which we'll look at in a couple moments. And this woman comes to the young man. And she tempts him and she does. So it's interesting if we look through this and we consider the human body, she tempts him with all five senses. First off, she tempts him by sight. At the, begin, at the beginning of this section, beginning in verse 10, she is, show, she is said to have dressed like a prostitute. And then later on, she talks about the colors of the sheets on her bed. She is appealing to his sight. She is appealing to what he can see to tempt him. She attempts his hearing with her smooth, with her seductive words. We are warned twice in, or excuse me, yes, we are warned twice in verse 5 and in verse 21 against her seductive words. And we see these words in verses 14 through 20. I have fellowship offerings at my home. Today I have filled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I have found you. So there we have a little bit of piety mixed in with her, with her temptation there. She's gone to the temple. She's offered this peace offering. Part of the peace offering goes home with the worshiper. And it has to be consumed in community, in fellowship with other people before sunrise the next day. 
So here she is saying, look, I've done my duty before God. Come help me celebrate God's goodness to you and me. Then she says, and I've been out here looking for you. Come on, guys, honestly, if a pretty woman walks up to us and says, you're just the man I've been looking for. We get a little get a little bit of ego there, don't we? Yeah, I'm just the man she's been looking for. Usually they ask me to grab the stuff off the top shelf in the kitchen. But, you know, there's still that moment where it got a little bit of ego there. Yeah, she was looking for me. She tempts his ears. And as we see the rest of this, we'll cover this as we go along. We'll see that she propositions him. She appeals to his ego. She answers his objections of getting caught. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. And even this carries a lie in it. As basically what she says is, my husband will be back in two weeks, so don't get too attached. Because when he comes back, I'm going back to him. I'm going to promise you everything you think you could ever want or desire from a woman, but it's temporary. And I'm moving away. She tempts his sense of touch by grabbing him and kissing him brazenly, we're told. She tempts his sense of smell by talking about the perfumes that she has placed on her bed. And in Song of Songs, chapter five, the man is trying to wake up his beloved because she's locked him out of the house for some reason. And she's asleep. And so he he pours these particular perfumes upon the doorknob of the house so that she will wake up by the aroma and come let him in. She tempts his sense of taste by offering the food and hiding the temptation, as we've mentioned, in the context of religious piety. Basically, she comes to him as a whole person and tempts him with the delights and luxury that he thinks sex can offer. And she wraps it up with finally saying, let us drink deeply of love until morning. Let us enjoy ourselves with love. She has gone on an all out assault on his senses to tempt him into sexual sin, into sexual temptation, and has basically offered him the life that the father has said will only come through following the wisdom, following the law. But what does she actually deliver? She delivers death. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into the noose or into a trap until an arrow pierces its liver. And like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. If you take a cow to a slaughterhouse, they just kind of amble in. If you leave them to their own with the directed pathway, they'll kind of graze around outside and then just slowly walk their way into the slaughterhouse. To their demise, to their end. That's how the young man is described here. It's just kind of grazing around like a dumb, stupid animal and walks to his death, walks to his destruction. This all out frontal assault on his senses is successful. And it leads to death, sexual sin, all sin promises so much more than it can ever, ever deliver. It promises fulfillment. It promises satisfaction. It promises joy. It promises love. It promises life. And it brings us death. If engaged in long enough, sin delivers the death of our conscience. Sin can deliver physical death through disaster, through jealousy, through disease. And ultimately, it can deliver us to eternal death. Where our only hope is a savior who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we've seen the warning against sexual sin. We've seen the youth who wandered into the death that sin offers. And we've seen the temptress that sexual sin is. And those people that don't struggle with against sexual temptation, as we said in our prayer of confession, are are tempted to either tune out or to to respond with arrogance. I don't struggle with sexual sin. 
But in reality, this gives us a roadmap for how all temptation works. Because, because ultimately all sin promises far more than it can deliver. I've jokingly talked to you about before my obsession with potato chips when I'm stressed. And believe me, there are far deeper sins that I deal with other than that. I, I, I still haven't completely licked potato chips, but I'm on the way. It's doing pretty well. Thanks be to God. But those potato chips, what they promised to me in the midst of a stressful situation, in the midst of a of a situation of anger, in the midst of a situation of despair, what they promised me is that is that that momentary endorphin shot that makes me feel good for a minute will be what will get me through the rest of my life, the rest of the difficult situation. But you know what happens to that immediate endorphin release when I crunch those sweet, or no, they're not sweet, they're salty and crunchy potato chips? It goes away. And what happens when it goes away? Well, you've got to have a little bit more, don't you? It, it's the, in economics, they talk about the law of diminishing returns. It takes a little bit more every time to get the same endorphin hit. And then ultimately, if I do that long enough, Kroger runs out of potato chips and I'm on drugs for high blood pressure, for cholesterol, and I take a chance on damaging, if not killing myself. And whatever it is that you rush to instead of God is going to do the same thing. The only place we can find true rest, the only place we can find true peace in the midst of this world, the only thing that can truly offer us life is these words of life that we find in the scriptures. And so Solomon gives us this roadmap. This is how temptation works. And it's going to come at you looking like it will offer you everything you want or desire. And it's only going to give you disappointment, despair, and death. We must fight against the bondage that sin brings. And that fight begins and ends at the cross. Jesus defeated sin for us at the cross. He defeated the bondage of sin. And oftentimes we know that truth. But as John Owen says, we don't know the power of the truth. Because that truth is also the power to fight the temptation, to turn from it, and to walk in the way of holiness that we know is ours. Watch out for temptation. It comes dressed all pretty, it comes flattering, and it comes promising far more than it can. But it delivers death. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we thank you for these words from Solomon. The story of the young man and the temptress that shows us the path and the, the, the strategies that sin, that Satan uses to tempt us to turn our backs on you. Lord, lead us away from those things. Show us the folly of giving in to sin. And show us the destruction, the despair, the despair and the death that comes to us because of sin. And the life and the joy and the peace that comes from the long, hard road of following you, of staying on that path of wisdom, of staying on the path of fearing the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please stand with me, take the hymn book, and turn to number 302. Have thine own way. That is the path to peace, is allowing God to have his way in our life. So let us stand and sing hymn number 302, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.
We do walk a long and winding road as we seek to follow God's wisdom. But as we walk the path toward wisdom, as we seek to fear God above all things, take this blessing with you. Peace to the family of God and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you.